0: welcome to another episode of the first read ultimate spider-man podcast we are breaking down bendis's iconic run my name is irish john O'Patrick, and with me is my devilishly handsome co-host zach the love gun amore how's it going zach wow <laughs> those are some interesting names how long did it take you to come up with those Um, I was preparing my morning coffee and I, and I came up with them. The love gun. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a good one. So how's your day going? Dude, my
1: day is, I mean, I was going to say it's going good, but it's the morning and all I've done so far is go to the BMV. So it's going all right, but it's, it's getting better now. You know, always enjoy jumping on here and potting with you. Yeah, absolutely. What'd you have to do at the BMV? uh so i had to renew my registration and then also uh last weekend we i tried to walk into a casino with some people and they were like sorry man we don't accept expired licenses and i was like you're joking right (laughs) because how they're good for like five years how often do you ever think my license is about to expire that's coming up like i don't I I can't remember the last time I got pulled over by a cop. I don't ever have to look at my license. I just didn't know that it expired. And it was only like a couple days expired too. So had to get both of those things sorted out.
0: Okay, nice. I feel very confidently that you are in the wrong on not knowing that your license was expired. You look forward (laughs) to that? that? No, I don't look forward to it. But (laughs) if your license is expired... I feel like it's pretty standard that you won't be able to do anything. Like you can't go into a bar or a casino. I, I just think it's funny that you're like, they wouldn't let me in because my license was expired. And it's like, come on, man. It's like, you know, it's, yeah, that's why you need to renew it. <laughs> it's funny. You
1: say that because I had been into a bar since it expired. So it expired like okay. the 1st of January. Uh, yes. or er, Well, last week when I went to the casino, it was like, the 14th of january it was only like two weeks
0: expired wow well that stinks that you didn't end up getting to go gamble probably saved yourself some money though (laughs) yeah it's fine they were
1: only in there for a little bit it was like we were going to chicago to see a museum and we were gonna get there like 30 minutes before the museum opened so yeah you're in gary and you drive by the casino it's like oh here's a way to spend 30 minutes
0: oh yeah Oh, that's awesome. That's it perfect. it wasn't that big of a deal. But yeah. how about you? How's your day going? Today's a big day. Really? Okay, so if I say January 21st, there are two big things that are like January 21st every year. You might know one of them. The second one you won't know.
1: I'm blanking on it. Can you help me out?
0: If I say it has something to do with the Colts, are you going to know immediately what it is?
1: Is it the anniversary of the 2007 AFC Championship game?
0: The 2006 AFC Championship game that technically did take place in 2007. So Yes, the 2006-2007 yes. season. Yes, yes, it is the anniversary of that. Okay, That's when the Colts came back from the Patriots down 21 to 3 and made it to the Super Bowl. Yep. I watch it every year because it is also my cat Omaha's birthday. From 2007? Obviously named after Peyton Manning. No, it's her sixth birthday. Okay. So I got her six years ago. And if you really care, it also, and this is six years ago exactly, is the day that um, Ryan Grigson got fired from the Colts because I remember that happened the same day I got Omaha, which was also the so lots of big Colts January twenty first. Wow, things.
1: that's three yeah. great things. This is just that's a good,
0: three. good day
1: for history.
0: I agree, and also now I'd be remiss if I didn't say it's also my buddy Billy Coon's birthday, who you may have met at the wedding.
1: Shout out, Billy!
0: Yeah. <laughs> Every
1: business says they're better. But the ones that earn and display the BBB seal, back it up. It instantly identifies businesses that are committed to operating with integrity, honoring promises, and telling the truth. Makes you wonder why every business doesn't have it. So look for it, because it's looking out for you. That's why it's the sign of a better business. And find a better business anytime at BBB.org. All right, thank you, Better Business Bureau. Anyways, John, what are we looking at this week?
0: We are doing the Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, issues six through eight. So the last Marvel Team-Ups we did were a couple episodes back, and it was Spider-Man meeting Wolverine, and he met the Hulk, and was there anyone else? Iron Man. And he met Iron Man, yep. Yep. That
1: actually was all the way back in episode two. We have yeah. um, we've been neglecting this series for a bit. I mean, the first the, the main series was, you know, getting pretty good. And we just got wrapped up in that. But we have some special issues today.
0: Yes. So first one, Ultimate Marvel Team-Up Issue 6. It's titled The Punisher. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by Bill Sienkiewicz. Colored by J.C. Two inmates at Rikers Island prison are sitting around eating their lunch, talking about how Herman Schultz just got out of prison. One inmate asks, which one is that? And the other responds, the one named Herman Schultz. We learn that Schultz is also known as the Shocker. He just got out of prison because his lawyers argued that Spider-Man infringed on his constitutional rights and... This argument worked and he was released from prison immediately. So now there's the the prisoners are talking about there's a precedent for this type of thing. These mass vigilantes are kind of messing up things in the justice system.
1: And real quick, if you don't remember who the shocker was, because he got taken down pretty handily by Spider-Man several issues ago. He's also known in this universe as the vibrator.
0: Oh, that's right. That's yeah. what that's what it made the panels look like. That was Peter's joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, so these two inmates, they say they're gonna as soon as they get done eating lunch, they're gonna go talk to their lawyers immediately. They're gonna try to get out the same way as the shocker. And then we're told kind of a story by one of the inmates about how he got thrown in prison. He was going apartment to apartment, breaking and entering, and robbing places. When he stumbled into one apartment, and there was a young, good-looking blonde woman there, and he decided to, you know, he was gonna get familiar with her. So,
1: yeah, it's yeah, Zach, it's
0: real disgusting. They, it, it is. It's very. He's he's pretty graphic in some of the stuff he talks about, and you can like infer.
1: They don't say the word, but you know that's what he's talking about. Well and, and he's they do slagging about it.
0: Yeah, and they do say it later in the issue itself. Um, but yeah, he so he's about to do this, and then the devil of Hell's Kitchen himself, Daredevil, shows up and beats the snot out of him, and this guy gets thrown in jail for breaking and entering, along with assault. And the inmate is kind of still bragging about how as soon as he gets out of prison, he's going right back to that apartment to finish what he started with the young blonde woman. And right at that moment. He's attacked in prison and uh, he's attacked by Frank Castle, the punisher. And we learn that Castle is an ex-cop who's in jail for killing a cop. And he gets lit up with a bunch of rubber bullets from the guards. And then Castle wakes back up in his cell.
1: Well, it's not just that he attacks the dude. You can see him like listening from the other table to the guy's story. And he's like playing with his spoon. And then he like takes the spoon in between his knuckles like a Wolverine claw, and he gets the guy in the face with it.
0: Yeah, and and he ends up killing him. We find out a, a bit later in the issue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that is going to bring me to probably one of my, I'd say my only complaint with this issue is that I really don't like the art style in a lot of the scenes with the Punisher. I find it very difficult to even figure out what's going on in it. Um, so, like, I'm glad you're there to to jump in and be like, well, this is what's happening. And because I I thought it looked like a bunch of scribbles.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about the art. I was just about to ask you if we could talk about the art for a second. So this is Bill Uh We had to have a conversation before the pod about how his name is pronounced and i said and and i
0: still messed it up the first time i tried to do the the
1: intro well we cut that they don't know that yeah yep i said he's one of the few people with like a ridiculously hard name that someone will notice if we get it wrong because bilson kevich is kind of a giant in the like art comics industry i feel like uh if there was like one comics artist that would have their stuff displayed at like like the metropolitan museum of art or like some really, you know, respected institution, i feel like it would be him. um and i i like it's not for everyone. Clearly, you know, like john said it's sometimes a little hard to follow because it's so interpretive, but uh you got to Listeners and John, if you if you can check out type in Bill Sienkiewicz, uh new mutants art. This is like the stuff the dude was doing in the 1980s when, you know, there was pretty much just like one or two comic styles. And it's stuff that I've literally never seen recreated or imitated well in like my entire life.
0: Yeah, I I have definitely I've seen like this type of art and even some of these like panels that I'm clicking through before. And I, I don't like these types of pictures. (laughs) I mean, so I, so I do feel, I do feel bad because I, I mean, it's art is so subjective, you know, and it's, and it just, this just doesn't hit hit my brain in a nice way when I'm looking at it. But I, but I do say in issue seven or eight of this, I I have in my notes that like the art is starting to grow on me. Um, But I think in this first scene specifically with with the Punisher, I was looking at it like I can can barely even like see what's happening in here. Like you got to make the pictures at least look like the pictures that they're supposed to be.
1: (laughs) So I think that's part of the part of the issue with Bill Sienkiewicz is. His stuff is so expressive and uh, it's kind of, you know, vague and sometimes it's like supposed to be metaphoric. Like um, I'm looking at a panel right now where it's the guy's face as he's telling the story about the girl. And then part of his face is the girl and part of it is him, you know, like assaulting her. And it's not meant to be taken literally. So it's really Intricate and technical artwork, but maybe it doesn't lend itself to really clear storytelling, like panel by panel, for a whole issue. And And I I don't, I can see see that being a valid criticism of it just being hard to follow. And
0: I also don't want to come across like too harshly on it because you know, if this is how this guy always. Draws things then this was the first thing i'd ever seen of his you know and it's like the very first scene and like i said by by the end of even this issue it wasn't i wasn't really thinking about it anymore and even on the next you know there must have been something that we got to in in the next couple issues where i was like oh yeah I, i actually like what they're doing now with this art style so it was it was it's just pretty different i think from the issues that we had been reading before
1: yes it's pretty different from just about any comic artist and it even took me a while to warm up to him um in other books of his that I've read but at this point I I look forward to Bill Cabbage stuff if if nothing else you have to admit that it's it's unique it's like you know yeah. definitely stands oh, out
0: absolutely it kind of reminds me of um Have you ever read Batman Arkham Asylum? Those are like the only graphic novels I'd really ever read before we started doing this were some Batman ones.
1: No, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty much just like a Marvel and independent comics reader. I don't know why, but like when I was six, I decided that Marvel rules and DC sucks. And I've had a hard time overcoming that bias ever since.
0: Well, you should really quickly look up Batman Arkham Asylum panels because... And, and to be fair, I do like the story, but the art in it is not my favorite by any means. It's probably one of my least favorite that I read, but that's what it kind of reminded me of. Um, and especially when I looked up those new mutant panels, this is kind of what it reminded me of, but I don't know. I don't know if you'll even think that they're similar or anything. We can cut all this. We're way off the
1: rails. (laughs) No, we're not. I mean, it's a, so it's a mixed medium. There's words and then there's artwork. And this is definitely one of the times where, I mean, we're not looking at Mark Bagley again. This is, the artwork is intentionally different from what we're used to. And I think that's worth noting on. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. I bet, I bet this probably
0: took some inspiration from Sienkiewicz. Arkham Asylum, you think? Yeah, I don't even know who who did that one or anything. But
1: looks like Dave McKean.
0: Mm. He's a hack.
1: DC is hacks. No, no, this is very good. <laughs> I know I'm wrong in thinking that like all DC sucks. I know that's not a correct opinion. I just haven't ever cared enough to find the corners On of this it. Appeal cast
0: Marvel rules, DC drools. It's like um,
1: a, a tree house that says no girls allowed, but yeah. it's like, <laughs> really no D.C. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, so where where was I in here? So Frank attacks and kills this inmate with a spoon, and the Fra- guards... Sh- yes? I was going to say Frank being Frank Castle, the Punisher. Yes. Yep. Um, And during this chaos, like I said, we find out that Frank was an ex-cop who's in jail for killing a cop. And he gets shot with a bunch of rubber bullets. He wakes back up in his cell. And the guards have locked him up in some type of like suit of armor type of thing. But for like their protection. So he's just like totally um, chained up. He can't really move at all. It's like a Silence of the
1: Lambs thing. He's got like iron manacles like keeping him from moving his hands. And he's got like a a mask over his mouth so he can't bite anyone
0: yeah so his psychiatrist who he's talking to she's there trying to explain that castle only hurts criminals so he doesn't need to be in this big you know silence of the lambs type of thing he's not a threat to the guards or herself because they're not criminals so we learn that castle has killed nine inmates so far at rikers the latest one being Jim Washington, who he just killed at lunch, who had been convicted of a series of rapes and burglaries.
1: Rip, bozo. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well put. (laughs) His psychiatrist asked Castle um, what Washington said at lunch to cause this attack, and Castle responds with he made it clear he was no longer needed on the planet. And that... (laughs) Bro, so edgy. (laughs) I I really like that. I thought that was funny. So we learned through a flashback. The psychiatrist asks him, well, it didn't bring your family back, did it? And then we learned through a flashback that Frank became the punisher because one day he was at the park celebrating what I thought was maybe a birthday. There was a balloon with his wife and son when four gangsters show up and they kill them, and it looks like they're about to execute Frank, and then we kind of cut back away from the flashback, and Frank is just sitting with his psychiatrist in the cell, and he says he doesn't want to talk about it. And
1: can I interject here? Yes, and absolutely. Once again, bring up the art. I think this is going to be the, maybe the most art-heavy issue we talk about on the pod, definitely for a while. Uh, just because it's you know whether whether you it works for you or not.
0: This uh, it's
1: definitely the focal point of these issues. Are you kind um, of
0: talking about how it the panels look from like the flashback to like sitting in the prison and stuff like that, or what? Are, yes. What are you referring to? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: the coloring so far in the issue has just been grays and blues and whites and blacks. It's very you know monochromatic and looks really dark and noir and then as soon as we get to the flashback of Frank at the park with his family all of a sudden there's like more nuance there and there's these like pastel colors and it's very happy and it's it's just like a stark contrast like he used to have color and life and light and happiness in his life and then like Ooh. that's the day that it went away so well put i'm thinking like those
0: those are the types of um thoughts and what's explanations that are going to bring listeners into this show zach
1: well i don't know about that we might have lost him with all the colts talk earlier but (laughs) i just like how and this is part of why we try to attribute as many people as we can before we go into the issues because obviously bendis is you know earning his paycheck with this. Obviously Sinkevich is, you know, drawing his ass off, but then it's like the colorist JC. I don't know if this was intentionally JC's choice to make.
0: Mm, or that's interesting. Or if, if someone else said, Hey, this is going to be colored in black and white. This is going to be color." That's interesting.
1: But this is the perfect use of like variations of color. And, even just the tone of them that they're pastels like my wedding was, you know, kind of pastel themed. That's a very specific hue. Even if you were going to add like multiple colors, that's that's like high like the, that's like happy and light and like peaceful, you know, and that's what this scene is up until the gunmen show up.
0: Do you have the issue pulled up? If I say go to a panel, can you get to it real? Yeah, fast? I'm looking at it right now. Okay, so panel 17, I think. It might be 6. Let me let me make it. No, it's panel 17. The guy is st- it, you know, you talking page 17? Yeah, page 17, I'm sorry. Yeah. So we kind of get the color changing like right in that panel, you know, as his family's dead and Frank's about to get executed. But why do you think they decide to show such a close-up on this belt buckle with the gun on it? You know, they keep it in color and then they even show a close-up on it. Is that gonna come back as like how he recognizes this guy, the belt buckle?
1: I think that's the implication, because look at the specific shape of the gun. That's like a yeah. very specific gun. And I think we see that particular gun in a later issue. But even in even in that um, Central Park sequence. It's only the panels specifically of him and his family that are the, yeah. the really light pastel colors. The other panels, like the grass is green, and you know, there's a little bit of color, but the panels of the gunmen walking up, there's less light to it. It's like specifically only his his yeah. family that you know gets the the full. Yeah, you know, spectrum of colors.
0: Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. Well, well pointed out. And then even
1: as he's dying or well, as he's like getting shot, they don't actually finish the job. They think they killed him. But as he's, you know, about to get one more shot to the head and he sees the gun, you see the one blue balloon floating away and then blue is like the main color in the rest of these sequences. It's like, that's the only thing that stuck around. And what's like the implication of blue is like, you're feeling blue. Huh? So there's a lot going on here. Like I really think there absolutely is JC and Bill Sienkiewicz killed
0: it on this collaboration. And this, this might also be a good time to say that, you know, I don't own all of these different comics. I just use the Marvel unlimited app. So if we have any listeners who just listen to this, but don't follow along with the comics, I think it's like 10 bucks a month or I got it for like 65 bucks a year or something like that. And it is every single comic from Marvel you could ever possibly want. I think it's probably every single one they have. They're working on it. They're adding more every week,
1: but Um, honestly the ones that they're missing are so obscure if that's what keeps you from getting the package then you were already a massive reader who spent tens of thousands of dollars on comics yeah
0: um okay so let's try to find the spot so frank doesn't want to talk to the psychiatrist about what happened and she wants to she wants to learn more about it so she can get him the help that he needs um and try to get him to a less like um, intense prison or something like that.
1: Uh, I think she says her eventual goal is to get him to a hospital because she thinks yeah. that's like a mental institution. That's yeah. what would serve him better than just being, you know, in a prison with inmates that he just wants to kill one by one.
0: Yeah. And, and she says that maybe the warden even likes having him in prison because he's thinning the herd. Um. So after the attack on Frank, he he ended up killing two police officers. And now this is kind of why no one wants to help him because he's seen as a cop killer. So he refuses to talk to the psychiatrist about it and she calls him stubborn and leave. And very strangely, we are kind of stuck on a panel for like three or four panels of just this coffee cup and a ballpoint pen sitting on the desk. And it just lingers on it. And the psychiatrist walks away. And then when the guards come back into the room, the table's now clear. The coffee cup and ballpoint pen are gone.
1: And a paperclip.
0: And a paperclip. Okay, I didn't, I didn't even see that. They should have lingered on it for a couple more panels.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking if he's going to pick his locks... The pen might be useful. The coffee cup won't be the paperclips. Probably what he's doing most of it with.
0: Yeah. So we cut, we then cut to Spider-Man. He's crawling up a building. A crowd of people are going nuts around him, taking pictures of him. And he's thinking to himself about how every picture that someone takes of him, it's just always his butt because he's just always mooning the city of New York, like climbing up above them on the skyscrapers. And All of a sudden, the crowd starts kind of going into a frenzy. They're pointing at him and he doesn't know what's going on. He thinks he has butt sweat. (laughs) And then a huge headline appears on the TV that Spider-Man is crawling next to way up in the air on a billboard. It's kind of like Times Square. Yeah, I think it's one of the Times Square screens. Yeah. And it says, Punisher escapes and our issue ends. So... Zach, you said you thought the paperclip would be, you know, useful for an escape. Walk me through how he escaped when those guards came back into the room. Well, he cleared
1: the table of what she had left there. I don't think she intended to leave it there, but, you know, he noticed it.
0: Interesting. I was thinking that, like, did she intend to leave it there? Probably not, though. I mean, her goal is to make the case that he
1: belongs in a mental institution she doesn't like him killing people but she understands his motivation i don't think him escaping and going on a killing spree helps her in her job at all yeah (laughs) good point but i just think it's so funny how uh, these issues they're technically spider-man issues because they're in the team-up series spider-man appears technically in all of them but he gets such little time It's like, really, the story we're following is like this dark, gritty crime noir story. But every time Spider-Man shows up, he's a comedy character
0: and he doesn't realize he's in a different genre. So I don't want to get it. I want to get into something like that. But after we do all three issues, okay? because I kind of had that same thought because that keeps happening in all three issues. So, but I don't want to touch on it now and spoil anything that happens later. That's um, fair. But I think uh, p- pick the lock through a cup of coffee in one guy's face and stab the other with a ballpoint pen. He's he's really good at just
1: like, you know, he's like MacGyver. He just finds little, yeah. little things. And he's like, oh, this is a killing tool. Oh, this is yeah. a lock picking tool.
0: Um. Well, I really liked this one. Uh, the art style got me a little bit on it, so I gave it seven out of nine dead inmates at Rikers. All right. Uh, <laughs> wow, I have no idea what's coming here. Yeah, it
1: it almost hurts me to give anything a perfect score. Cause I feel like that's no, not what a good it. critic do would it. do. Do
0: but- it because I, I really like this one and I, and I, and I even probably should have given it an eight out of nine because of, of after our conversation about all of the art. And I, I actually think I'm going to change it to an eight out of nine because, because of that conversation, because I really, really liked this one. So do it. I'm even going to top you. I'm going to
1: go nine out of nine because I think all the way back in issue two, we talked about like the team up series. It has like two goals it's to introduce more characters to the ultimate universe, which they just created and are trying to fill. And then it also gives Bendis creative room to tell other Spider Man stories with collaborators other than just Mark Bagley and hit on different like moods and themes and genres and i feel like these three issues today are the height of that second one it's i mean they're barely spider-man stories i'll spoil that now but it's just really good character work really good storytelling really good like crime noir tropes and i think the art and the writing work together really well i couldn't ask for more
0: yeah yeah I I completely agree. What's gonna become a reoccurring, you know, thing that we say this episode is like, or at least I say, is how much I liked all three of these issues. Same.
1: And I I feel like uh, I feel like maybe just moving forward in the pod, I think we we're gonna come to a a, a point where like anything that I really really like and feel strongly about, I feel like you're gonna have. You know you're gonna appreciate and but have strong feelings the opposite way for and vice versa because that's already happened a few times. Yeah, like yeah, you has. saying the art isn't to like your taste. I see that and I understand the reasons for that, but like I totally disagree. But it's cool that we both like
0: critically can come to a similar <laughs> conclusion. It it reminds me of um Elizabeth, who is my wife, who Zach obviously knows, but she really likes like old vintage houses and old vintage things and i'm always like yeah i like things that don't look like shit i'm sorry <laughs> excuse my language <laughs> I, I like things that look nice and you know are new and nice and and that's kind of what it reminds me of with this art it's like yeah i get it but i like it when my pictures look like they're supposed to be the pictures of the things they're being drawn you know, <laughs> right.
1: this isn't meant to be clear. It's meant to be expressive and artistic and different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, have any other thoughts? or Are we ready to go into issue seven? No, mo- move on into issue seven. All right. So issue seven written by Brian Michael Bendis art by Bill Sienkiewicz colored by JC and lettered by Richard Starkings and comic crafts, Wes Abbott. So we open on a big splash page introducing Spider-Man, Punisher, and now Daredevil, the man without fear. Kind of got a passing reference to him in the last issue. We're actually going to meet him this time. The caption recaps Spider-Man and Punisher's origins, but then it gives us Daredevils for the first time. And it says, Attorney Matt Murdock is blind, but his other four senses function with superhuman sharpness. He stalks the streets at night, a relentless avenger of justice. And we then go to a bar in Lower East Side Manhattan. And it's clearly a rough place as there's a fight happening that most patrons are not even paying attention to. And someone says, hey, get off him or I'm calling the cops. And one of the men in the brawl yells, I am a cop. And uh, the owner tells the cop, Nick, take it outside, man. This is my place, Nick. I can't have it. And the man Nick was beating explains to other patrons that the TV had been talking about the Punisher escaping prison, and he had made a comment about the Punisher's victims getting what they deserve. And right after he said that, Nick started wailing on him, and that's how the fight started. So Nick stumbles out of the bar, staggering through the snow. You can kind of see from the artwork his footprints, and they're just a crooked twisting line. Um, and he gets to his car, throws up and struggles to get his key into the door. So he's which, clearly, which
0: has, which has happened before. It seems you can tell like, to, because there's like a million key scratch marks on his car. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's a good detail. Yeah. So this well, guy unless, dri- unless drives it's...
1: drunk a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, or, or you know, at least stumbling home from the bar is a normal occurrence.
1: Yeah. Um, so he's trying to put his key in the door and a white glove grabs his wrist. And we see the Punisher in his, you know, classic outfit standing over Nick with a shotgun pointed at his face. And Nick begs him, please, Frank, just not my face for my mother, not my face. and. Frank says face it is then and we see from the opposite side of the car the window getting blown out by the blast
0: that's so mean (laughs) that he that he shot him in the face you didn't have to do that you know it's not like he said not my face I'm so handsome it's for his mother you know (sighs) just feel for her feel for his mom now. <laughs> I don't
1: think I mean this wasn't about justice. This was about vengeance. Like Frank Castle has had it up to here with these people <laughs> and he wants to make them die and he wants to make them suffer <laughs> yeah. and fear up until they die and he's not going to he's not going to honor your last request. I know. I know. Like if anything, he should have Nick should have just kept his mouth shut and maybe he wouldn't have gotten should, it in the face. He should
0: have he should have. Yeah.
1: Why yeah. are you expecting this man? Whose whole thing is like no empathy for you yeah, to have empathy for you. As Yeah. It
0: I guess it's just like, you know, he didn't beg for his life. He didn't even try to fight back. He was pretty resigned to the fact that he was about to die. He was just like, I just don't want my mom to see me with this giant shotgun hole in my face. <laughs>
1: And you can you know. tell Frank's thinking, <laughs> well, and I didn't want to see my, you know, wife and son and daughter. Yeah, that's a good point. Up.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's probably like what he's always thinking about. Yeah, I, I wouldn't oh. have the same type of empathy if, if that had happened to
1: me. 100%, that's what he's always thinking.
0: Yeah. Um, we then
1: switch to a different unknown location from Matt Murdoch's perspective. This is the first time we're seeing him and we're seeing it from his point of view. So the panels start out pitch black because he's blind. And Matt describes in narration how he senses the world. And he says he can hear a heartbeat of the man sitting across from him. And we faintly see a figure starting to tape shape. And then he says the man has been sweating for hours. He sweats. It dries. He sweats again. And we can see the figure gaining some more clarity. And he says he can smell the food stain on the man's shirt. And the image becomes a little clearer. He says he can sense the body heat and the humidity of the sweat coming off the man. And finally, we see a fully formed person looking at us. So that's another instance of like the art just being really clever and descriptive. It's so
0: cool. I loved it. I love the way they do Matt Murdoch's powers. Every single scene he's in, in all of these issues it really makes you feel it like you know if you had ever
1: wondered oh, well how does daredevil's senses actually work like this puts you in that perspective in a way that feels so real yeah
0: it it does and have you seen the daredevil netflix show of Did course ever... love it it's so good and i think this is somehow even better than that like seeing seeing how they do his powers here and i think it maybe lends itself more to like a comic book versus a show because we can put his internal thinking on the page without it like just being a a a voiceover in an Mm -hmm. issue or something like that or in an episode and i just i just think it's so cool how he you know everything about it like you said and then how it's drawn where we see the image coming together as he like you know, Sherlock Holmes is more about this person.
1: Yeah. I think both are like just a plus examples of like daredevil as a concept being, you know, how you, how you use him in different mediums because in both they keep the same heart of the character, which is, this is like a gritty dark thing. Like, he's going to deal with some bad people. It's going to be really real and, um, you know, violent and everything. But this works in like comic book ways. And then that works in the TV show ways. And, you know, those are different. That's a completely different experience.
0: Um, do you know anything interesting about daredevil, the childhood accident that daredevil had that took his sight? Do you know any fun (laughs) facts about that, that I'm about to say, (laughs)
1: Is it the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing? Uh,
0: <laughs> yes, it is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing. Do you mm. want to walk the listeners through it? Uh, it sounds like you have done it before, so I'll let you do it because you probably. I had to. I reread about it when I read this issue. I was like, and it talked about the childhood accident. I was like, oh, I'm gonna blow Zach's mind with this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fact. <laughs> okay, so.
1: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles definitely started as Daredevil fan fiction because uh, his like
0: confirmed.
1: Oh, by the guy who wrote
0: it. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. This is like a real thing. Um, So Daredevil got his powers as a kid when uh, a truck carrying like nuclear waste was speeding through the city, went out of control. A barrel fell off the truck. Splashed up, hit him in the face, blinded him, but enhanced the rest of his powers. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles got their powers when a truck carrying mysterious ooze fell off the truck. A a barrel fell off the truck, splashed up, went into a sewer drain,
0: and touched them. Um, And not not only
1: that... It's the same uh, event.
0: It's the same. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very easily known that it's the same event.
1: Did you know that
0: it goes deeper than that? No, I didn't.
1: <laughs> so what is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like mentor or sensei's name?
0: Uh, I am not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle expert. Okay. Probably not, but I think it might be Splinter or he's is the a bad guy. Nope, okay. you're right.
1: And okay. then do you remember from the TV show? What is Daredevil's mentor's name? Uh, stick. sticks yeah yeah and he's a similar like an like an old man who teaches him um in the daredevil show the army of ninjas that he fights you remember what they're called
0: Ooh, let me think um it's not it's not splinter uh the hand
1: yep do you remember what the army of ninjas that the teenage mutant ninja turtles There's fight no is way called?
0: Uh, the fist is that the it f- The foot. Oh, the foot. Okay. Uh,
1: So it's literally like the same mythology, just ever so slightly altered. Wow. That guy's getting sued. (laughs) (laughs) Might have been too long by now, but he, he probably could have at the time.
0: Well, that if that doesn't like, um, just explain Zach and I's relationship where every time I think I know something about a comic, Zach just knows like three levels deeper than I do on what I'm about to say. Well,
1: you're using comics as
0: the, yeah, you're using comics as
1: the barometer when it's like you even said the Batman Arkham Asylum was like the only comic you had read before this. There's plenty of things. John knows that I don't know. (laughs) I text him about my stocks. Yes, and we lose money. (laughs) (laughs) But we lose it together. (laughs) Yep. Anyways, let's get back on the rails. Uh, So, yeah, the man sitting in front of Matt is Detective Bruce Greenwood, and he's a client of Matt Murdoch's. Um, Bruce
0: Greenwood is an actor, by the way. Did you know is that? He? <laughs> he, yeah, we're we're way. We're, this one's gonna go long. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty famous. If you googled him, he was in the Star Trek movies. He was the captain that died before, uh, or he he might not have even died, but he was the captain before Kirk took over in the Star Wars movies. And he's the type of guy that you will see him in like a million different things. I wouldn't even be surprised if he's been in comic book movies in the past. Uh, th- that's cool. Maybe they
1: use that name on purpose. I don't know. Yeah. Does this guy look like Bruce Greenwood in the comic?
0: Um, no.
1: Okay. <laughs> Any behoozle Um, Bruce asks Matt if he has attorney-client privilege and can speak freely, and Matt tells him yes. And he's and like, "I think
0: this is probably the first time we see Matt." Sorry for all the interruptions, Zach. But I just no, have to include that I hate his blonde hair. Oh yeah, does that take you
1: out of it? I cannot stand it. At least it's not like you know, the Spider Verse movie when they take Spider Man's mask off and Peter Parker's blonde. Yeah, <laughs> I think that one's a bit more egregious. That, yeah, I I just don't like it. Diet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that's that's going to be the one that keeps this from being a perfect comic for you. Uh. Anyways, Bruce is, like, nervously looking out the window as they talk, and he sees Spider-Man swing by. And this is the funny Spider-Man moment of the comic, because Matt notices it, too, and he thinks to himself, did something actually just fly by the window? And he clearly knows it's Spider-Man, and he, like, is thinking something like, man, that guy's such a tool. (laughs) Um, And Bruce asks Matt if he's heard of Frank Castle and this is when we get a lot of text heavy exposition we learn that bruce and frank were partners on the police force and best friends and uh Matt we get at- a
0: lot of text exposition but it doesn't necessarily feel like that because it's because of like the art style and how it's drawn and everything because it's it it kind of like switches back between A flashback of all this stuff like happening in segments as Bruce Greenwood is telling Matt Murdock, you know, the story of Frank Castle and him.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, there there's there might be. Like 200 words on some of these pages, but the art keeps it interesting enough. And yeah, absolutely. um, I don't know whose job it is to make the text bubbles, but kudos to them because they break it into little almost like paragraphs that, you know, is just one or two quick sentences and then there'll be a connected bubble. Um, If this had all been just like one solid bubble, it would have looked unreadable, but just that little, I don't know. It's like a mental uh, cheat code that makes it a lot more palpable. So, Matt asks Bruce if Frank came to see him yesterday after he broke out of prison, and Bruce answers, if he did that, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be dead. And he explains that the whole police force was corrupt, and so to him, it felt normal to take bribes. And a criminal named The Owl, who's a classic Daredevil villain, wanted to take Kingpin's place, so he started offering college scholarships to cops as a bribe. And one cop named Artie Gillette became a sort of enforcer for the owl, and it was his job to make sure every cop was loyal to the owl, or else Artie would make their life hell. And according to Bruce, Frank was the only person on the force who wasn't on the take. Uh, Artie was paranoid that Frank would expose the rest of the force, and he started telling other officers that they should kill Frank. And so Bruce was worried for Frank, and he tried to warn him that he wasn't safe. And when Bruce did that, Frank said, "Too late. I already ter- told." Happens once an episode, folks. I already told Internal Affairs everything I know. And then we get this huge page of dialogue that I honestly tried to summarize in my notes. And I thought, "It's I just got to read this. We got to do it." And he says. I already told IA everything I know, everything, because I'm so sick of living in this world of compromise that most of the time I can't even breathe. You and your little friends are weak and selfish, and the people of this city deserve more. Your family deserves more, Bruce. I know you think you're providing for them, but you're not. One day, your little girl, your own daughter, is going to find out what kind of man you really are, and when she does, she will hate you. She won't remember the presents or the clothes or the games. All she'll remember is that Daddy is a thief and a liar. I have a son, and I won't let him think, of, think that of me. I know you think I've betrayed you, but I've set you free. You're going to turn yourself in when the time comes. You're going to confess. And you're going to be able to look your daughter in the eye, and she'll know that her father is repentant and good. And we cut back to Murdoch's office where he guesses the ending and finishes Bruce's story. And he says, and you told Gillette and Gillette is the one that had Frank's family killed. And Bruce starts crying and explains that it was only supposed to be Frank. The cops dressed in gang colors. So it would look like a gang war shooting and they killed the entire castle family, except they didn't finish the job with Frank. And Bruce explains he knew the cop Frank killed when he was originally sent to prison. And he heard that Frank killed Nick the night before and stands up and starts yelling. You know what that means, right? It means he knows he's coming for me. And just then nearly a dozen bullets fly through the window and through Bruce. Matt changes into his daredevil costume and jumps out the window. And then, he like,
0: immediately changes. It had to be on, like, under his suit or something. That's what I thought,
1: too. It, yeah, it doesn't actually show him changing. It just immediately jumps to Daredevil coming out the yeah. window, which is a beautiful splash page in and of itself. I'm guessing that was one of the, that was probably one of the pages where you were, like, warming up to Sinkevich. Oh.
0: Um, 18. I wonder, I wonder where I did write that. It may, I that know, I, I liked it all by now because that that whole flashback where they're showing the cop like how it started in the department, you know what was going on with Bruce Greenwood and Frank and Gillette i I just really like that whole you know setup and i I think I've said before that I like the really dialogue heavy um issues a lot. If they do it well, and it doesn't feel like it's really dialogue heavy, especially. Yeah, this is like textbook
1: that. Yeah, like if I had been an editor and gotten the script for this from Bendis and like hadn't seen the art or anything, I would probably tell him, dude, you got to trim some of this down. But just the way it's paced, it totally works. Yeah. And then (laughs) just to hit that on the head again. I gotta, I gotta read all of page 19 also, because it's so good, I can't condense it. So Daredevil's running across the rooftops, ch- trying to chase Frank, and he says, First I smell the gun smoke, just a wisp. Then the leather, the dirt. He hasn't showered in a couple days. His breathing is shallow, controlled. His heart is strong, even. He had a cornered beef sandwich. That seems so funny. Wait. He's here. He's good. But I know he's still here. He's trying to sneak up on me, like that's even possible. If he was going to kill me, he would have by now, right? But then I heard the sound of the wind blowing through his silencer. Sounds like a flute playing the minor key. Sounds like the ocean. But his heart is betraying him. He's not going to shoot. He's not going to shoot. It's okay. I know how to play this. I let him think he snuck up on me. I let him think he has the upper hand. And then we see a panel of a gun pressed against the back of Daredevil's head. And Daredevil just says, Frank, I want to help. And the issue ends.
0: It's a great one. Once again, just how they do Daredevil's powers, I think are like the coolest thing ever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Daredevil has a long and proud history of like great runs like people talk about the frank miller run the ann Nisenti run around this time bendis was even writing a really great daredevil run like he's for whatever reason someone that most writers just hit out of the park or not most writers but a lot of writers have just hit out of the park and i almost feel like it's a shame that this story is in ultimate team up a, like a title, most people probably weren't reading that much because yeah. if this was like more known, I think this is like an all time great Daredevil story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's not uh, even like a
1: complicated plot, it's just done so well.
0: Yeah, it 100% is. All, uh, these three issues we're reading today have been my favorite out of, you know, a favorite set of issues that we've read so far.
1: Honestly, same.
0: And I gave this one still not a perfect score, but I did nine out of 10 cops on the take. <laughs> All right. Because because there's one cop who isn't on the take, obviously. And that's the Punisher.
1: Yeah. And also, it can't be perfect because Matt Murdock is blonde.
0: Oh, my gosh. It does take me out of it. I'm like, that is just ridiculous.
1: I wonder if the notes said... Okay, Matt Murdock is blind and the
0: colorist was like, blonde, got it. (laughs) That's really (laughs) funny because I feel like it is such a choice to make someone blonde. You know, giving someone brown hair or dark hair is just standard. If you give someone like bleach blonde hair. Yeah, he looks like a hundred percent a choice that they like specifically did. Well, let's think
1: about that. I mean, they're making this new universe. These are completely different characters from the comics that have been published, you know, since the 60s. They probably did want to vary it a little bit. They probably were like, let's at least add something a little in there so that people know we'll this isn't, blonde. yeah, this isn't like
0: regular continuity. This isn't your granddad's daredevil. This one's blonde. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's what's your rating on that one? I'm guessing it's going to be pretty high. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. If anything,
1: I gave a perfect score to the last issue and I like this one better.
0: Well, you know, I gave a while I was reading this one, these three and thinking about them. I remembered that I gave a perfect score to an episode last an issue last week. And these are the best but I'm not giving them perfect scores. So the rating system is flawed. <laughs> yeah. It's subjective. You feel different today. Yeah. Um. Okay. Do you have anything you want to add or should we hop into eight?
1: Let's keep it rolling. Let's get into eight.
0: Okay. Ultimate Marvel team up issue eight. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by Bill Sienkiewicz. And... I think it said the story was like by, or the lettering was by a company or the coloring was by a company. And I didn't feel like mentioning it, but I heard you mention a company when you did the last one. So yeah, so this is,
1: I've got it. It's colored by transparency digital. So not JC. It's the first one today. That's not by JC. And then lettered by Richard Starkings and comic crafts, Wes Abbott.
0: So we open on daredevil talking about why he hates guns. His father was killed um, after being shot multiple times in the back because he didn't go along with a fixed fight. His father was a boxer, and Daredevil we learn has tried to imagine so many times what his dad must have felt like, you know, in his last moments when when he's got a gun up to him and he's about to be shot. And he says he never really knew what that felt like until today when when Frank Castle is you know has a gun pressed up against his head. And Daredevil begins to almost laugh to himself. And he kind of realizes, oh, this isn't the time for this. I need to focus on what's going on. And that's kind of one of the things I do really like about the way they do Daredevil in last issue and this issue. Is so many things are going through his head at once. He's just constantly like thinking to himself. And you really get a sense of who he is better than you know without it's not necessarily just like exposition because he's just thinking to himself you know and we don't we don't really get that from anybody else i guess sometimes we hear about what spider-man thinks but but i just really like the way daredevil is characterized and how he's thinking to himself and then he's laughing because he's like oh gosh how long have i been sitting here like daydreaming i need to get back to it
1: yeah for sure
0: so Daredevil knows Frank's not going to shoot him based on his heartbeat, uh, because his heartbeat is kind of remaining steady. So he knows, you know, fighting him is also not going to be the answer to this. And Daredevil's like, okay, I'm a lawyer. I need to talk to this guy. So he starts talking to Frank about how killing, which is, is the great, answer.
1: like that it ties in. Like <laughs> I love when superhero stuff is like, okay, I have X specific skill in my civilian identity. And then I have these skills as a superhero. And I love when you put them in circumstances where they have to use their civilian skill to like solve yeah. the problem. Yeah. Like he's he's uh. he knows he's gonna win this with his
0: mind, not his muscles. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and I'm also thinking that probably a lot of the inspiration for Daredevil talking to Punisher on the seal on the roof in the TV show was probably taken from this scene specifically. I don't know if you remember that, Zach, just thinking about it, but I'd have
1: to rewatch it. It's been a minute.
0: It's the same thing that's happening. Daredevil's like, you know, Frank kind of has him tied up and he's just like talking to him about how same things he's saying here, you know, killing isn't the answer. He needs to make them pay for their crimes through the justice system. And, Frank tells Daredevil that he heard about him in Rikers and it seems like he likes what he hears, but he can't have Daredevil interfering and Daredevil senses for a quick second that his heartbeat gets faster and he knows he's about to shoot and he jumps out of the way to safety. But as he makes it down to the ground, he realizes that, you know, he can't dodge bullets. If if Castle wanted to shoot him, he would have. So he thinks he must have just kind of shot at him to make him run away just to give Frank Castle some time to escape. And even from over a block away, we get a great couple of panels about Daredevil still being able to track Frank as he's escaping. He's like, oh, he's a block away now that that big guy can really haul Paul, it. Oh, he's jumped in a dumpster. He fell in some taco guts. He twisted his ankle because now he's limping. And it's just really cool how he's still able to, to track where he's going. And Daredevil then hears the sirens coming and he hightails it back to his office. And when the police show up in his office to investigate the Bruce Greenwood murder, because you kind of forget that that even is what started all of this off. At least I did. Um, He's hiding under the desk, back in his lawyer outfit, and he's like, "What do you guys want with me?" I, I, you know, and he plays the part of a scared blind man very, very well.
1: Yeah, so well they kind of disregard, like they don't even. I mean, they're they're performatively like doing what you would do, you know, when you find a survivor of a shooting. But when they talk amongst themselves, and you know the way they're acting, they really are discounting him and not expecting him to know what's going on because he played it so
0: convincingly. Yeah. And we kind of hear the police talking amongst themselves and they realize, oh, it's Bruce Greenwood that is dead. And they call for backup and then Gillette shows up and. Gillette couldn't have made it here, you know, in this amount of time. There's no reason he would be here, except for he knew that Bruce Greenwood was the next one on the list, and he was waiting for the call that, oh, this is Bruce Greenwood that that has been killed. So he shows up, and Gillette is terrified because he knows that Frank is coming for him next, and luckily for Daredevil, we learn all of this kind of through his internal monologue that... That's why Gillette must have showed up so fast. And Gillette knows that Frank is coming for him next. And Daredevil's thinking how lucky he is because this guy that he was going to go try to find, Gillette, has just wandered completely unknowingly into his office. So he's got him right where he wants him. And did you notice something that
1: uh, is just kind of subtly given to us? Third panel on page nine it's Gillette standing there and instead of seeing his face or anything we see oh yeah his hand is like resting on his stomach and you see a big belt
0: buckle with the gun from issue one on it but interestingly you know they really made a point to make that yellow and in this one it's not a gold belt buckle it is a silver belt buckle so maybe he has multiple belt buckles or maybe that's just how the sun was shining off it that day or maybe it
1: was one of Gillette's men like oh this is his calling card you got he's got this belt Uh, buckle with a gun on it okay because I I
0: am a little confused we see four gangsters go and kill Frank Castle's family Cops dress like gangsters It's like a yes yes cops dress Boston tea party situation and three of them are now dead so gillette is the only one but would so that means gillette didn't order four guys to go do it he and three guys did it is what it sounds like from the comic and that also makes me think bruce greenwood was the one one of the four that went to kill him but just from the characterization we get of Greenwood, that doesn't sound like something he'd do. It kind of sounds like he might know about that, but he wouldn't actually be the one taking part in it. Because he so, didn't want to kill the family. He just wanted Frank dead. And I don't even think he just wanted Frank dead. I mean... Well, he think, knew they were going to kill Frank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So would he actually be the one showing up? So so I don't know. The the numbers and the amount of people involved are kind of... Uh, I'm not really sure about them. Are there four gangsters, and I'm using quotes, and then Greenwood, and then Gillette? Or were Gillette and Greenwood a part of the four that Frank is hunting down?
1: I think it's kind of ambiguous. And I think to Frank, it matters less who pulled the triggers as it does who ordered it. So either way, we know the answer to who
0: ordered it is Gillette. So whether he the was there who or not told them about it is Bruce. So that's exactly. probably why he sees him as like one of the people. He... Okay. Yeah. I okay. think it's immaterial to him who actually did it. Well, I, and I only bring that up because a couple times in this issue, they say two down, two to go. And we specifically see four people that showed up and they say two down, two to go. And then later on, they say even like three down one to go. So, that's where I think it's kind of confusing on who all how many people are involved in this. But, you know, Gillette is the main one that we know Frank is after. And he's like the last one, it seems, that he's after. Yes. Um. OK, so let's see where. Oh, great. this is one of my favorite scenes in the in the issue. So we cut to Gillette's home. And he is talking with his son and daughter, and they are playing a game. And the game is, if they stand in front of the windows, he promises them a whole dollar to the one who stands in front of the windows the longest. And his daughter says, well, what if they both stand in front of the windows forever? And then they both win a dollar if they do that. And he's holding a gun in one hand (laughs) and a bottle of gin in the other.
1: This yeah, is I, I was going to get to that, but yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. This no. is a truly disturbing scene. Yes, he's a stand up guy. Gillette is. Um, and if you don't understand, he doesn't think Frank will shoot the kids. So they're human shields. That's yeah, the that's why
0: they're standing in front of the window. We just saw Bruce Greenwood get lit up when he stood in front of a window. So he's using his kids as shields and the kids ask where their mom is. And Gillette is like totally going off the deep end. And I'm not even going to like repeat some of the stuff he says, but he's just talks about how the mom was only someone who pretended to be supportive. And, um, you know, she he calls her a bunch of names for, you know, a bad, you know, woman. And this guy's just not a good guy. <laughs> and you you can tell he's like plastered drunk. Yeah. He's totally going off the deep end. He's start, you know, he's waving the gun and he's got the gin. This is when I said he's he's only holding a gun and a bottle of gin. His kids are starting to cry as he's like shouting at them about their mother. And he's so drunk and like yelling that he doesn't even realize Castle is standing there in the doorway. He's already in his home.
1: And if only Ca- he had a third kid
0: to put by the door. <laughs> yeah that's true um and castle tells him castle just says you know come with me we're not going to do this in front of the kids and then gillette just i I can't tell if he came with him and then he's starting to run away but at some point he starts to run away but well they get to the he's not gonna escape yeah yeah is that where they are he he takes him up to the roof at gunpoint and then once they get on the roof gillette's like tries to run yeah, and and Castle says, you know, maybe we should have done this in front of the kids. After all, that's what you did. And Gillette starts to run and he trips and falls. And Castle prepares to execute him. And he's got a. It seems to me he's got a speech he's prepared for this moment. He talks about all the time he spent healing from his wounds and thinking about how he no longer has a family and why does man do these horrible things and why does man sin. And then he says, because you want to. And right as he's wrapping up his speech that you can tell is just taking a little bit too long. Daredevil knocks the gun out of his hand. Well, hold on before you turn the page.
1: So because he wants to that image, it's, you know, sometimes in comics you get like a close up of someone's eye. As just their reaction, you know, just to show, like, the emotion that they have. This is an example of Sienkiewicz doing something expressive, not literal. We zoom in on Frank's eye. And instead of a pupil, there's, like, a screaming skull in it. Like, yeah. all he, all he has in mind is just killing this guy. And it's... It's it's a oh, it's,
0: so it's, oh so that's like a cut back from Frank's eye to Gillette's eye. Yeah, because Frank has eyes. the blue eye, so Frank and has then the Punisher eye, and then Gillette's eye is.
1: And then it shows Gillette's, and it's a normal human eye, but you can tell it's like scared. It knows yeah. it's about to die.
0: Yep. And then, like I said, he takes a little too long, and Daredevil throws one of his wooden sticks at him, and knocks the gun out of his hand, and he. Pleading with the Punisher to not do this, to you know, let the justice system win, and he's getting to him, and he thinks he's oh, you know that that he's going to get to him here. He's like Frank, just, and he's thinking this, and he's like Frank, please just have one moment of clarity, and he's about to get to him, and then the dunce of the hour, Spider Man, <laughs> comes <laughs> swinging in and kicks the gun out of the Punisher's hand or like kicks the Punisher in the head and knocks him out. And while he does that, he kicks the gun and the Punisher accidentally shoots Daredevil (laughs) and Spider-Man goes and rescues Gillette and helps him escape. And so now we're now now all of a sudden the scene is the Punisher is out cold. Daredevil has been shot. (laughs) Gillette has escaped. And Peter just thinks he did the and best Peter, job. Yeah, and Peter is just a child who doesn't know what he hasn't wandered into. And Daredevil's like, Good job, idiot. You just helped the the the, murderer, <laughs> the escape. murderer get away. And Peter's like, wait, the murderer. Wait a second. Are you okay? Because he doesn't even realize that Daredevil's been shot after all this. And Daredevil is being very like. Uh, I would say, like, not patronizing because he's not being condescending, but he's being very, like... He is seething mad. Yeah, he's just very angry at this child, and he's like, go bring the gun and castle to the police station. Is that something you think you can handle? Yes or no? Can you handle that task, Spider-Man? And Spider-Man's like, yeah, but... And before he can even finish the thought, Daredevil has already, like, left, and... Peter says, OK, say hi to Richie Rich for me, which I was going to ask you, Zach, if you knew what that was a reference to, because I have no idea what that joke is. I mean, I, I vaguely remember Richie
1: Rich being a thing in like the 90s, but I, but don't, I don't know, know, what know why that would is. have to do
0: with like Daredevil in his red suit. I don't. I, he was bossy and he thinks
1: Daredevil's being bossy that it went oh, over my head. May,
0: maybe that is that that is a better thought than I had. So that maybe- was a total guess. Yeah. um, So Daredevil has maybe knocked Spider-Man off his game a little bit. He's not as good with the clips. His jokes aren't, aren't really landing. Yeah, he had something else ready, but then the situation changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had to improv. So, so Spider-Man drops off the Punisher and the gun back at the police station. And we see Frank is back talking to his psychiatrist. And she tells him... There's a new vigilante bill being voted for. It's called the Frank Castle bill. Uh, and f- the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist tells Frank that he must have some, you know, lawyer who is really gung ho about Frank not going into solitary confinement. So this lawyer who I, we're assuming is, is Matt Murdoch is responsible for him still being in general population. Uh, so Frank is being led back to his prison cell in general population, where we see him walk into his cell, and his cellmate is peeing against the wall, like in in the toilet against the wall. So all we see is his back, and we just hear him say, "The name's Gillette. Top bunk is mine. Touch anything that isn't yours, and you're a freaking." And, and just as he's about to finish his sentence, he turns around, and he sees Frank Castle face to face with him. And his sentence kind of fades off and he just says, dead man. And the the guard who's locking Frank Castle in the cell with Gillette says, you still have friends, Frank. Once a blue, always a blue. And the issue ends with Gillette looking scared and Frank's hand on his collar. And we can infer the rest. I
1: think that's Gillette's hand. Like he's like pulling at his own shirt because he's like, oh, nervous or whatever. But Frank is looking at him and he's smiling. This might be the first time we see Frank smile, you know, since the
0: Oh, well, I think flashback. You're right. he's doing one of those things where he's like pulling a shirt like a gulp, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> but 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 we can still infer the rest. Yeah. Or at least I assume we we know what's gonna happen in the
1: rest. Yeah, he's eventually gonna find a spoon or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um once again, I loved it. I hate Spider-Man now. <laughs> I think, I think with this, with these three issues and what I was going to say, I don't hate Spider-Man of course, but what these three issues maybe showed me is that, uh, I do not like Spider-Man nearly as much as I like Daredevil. I am like way more into Daredevil and the types of issues. Those are, which like you said, it's, it's a lot grittier and like more crime noir and, I just love the way Daredevil is like written and his powers are written and his internal monologue and it doesn't help. The Spider-Man showed up and like ruined everything that the three issues have been about.
1: <laughs> I often wonder why Daredevil isn't thought of as like a bigger hero and like a bigger, like intellectual property of Marvel because on, you know, on his face, you're like, he has some of the best stories, but I think it really does hurt how similar he is to spider-man they have similar colors similar costumes daredevil kind of swings from building to building with his like baton rope thing it, it's just you know he's a little too close to like you know their darling intellectual property but mm, yeah that, i loved i love daredevil too
0: yeah that's interesting because i don't the only reason I compare Daredevil and Spider-Man is because they have a common link of Kingpin. Like I don't see them as like the same type of character. And and I was thinking when you said I wonder why Daredevil's not a bigger deal. And it probably is his army of rogues. Because I don't know of anyone he's really big with except for Kingpin, whereas Spider-Man has. Kingpin is one of about fifteen Spider-Man villains you can name, and it's it's maybe something about the fact that he's blind and he doesn't have in quotes superpowers. You know, he's just a normal blind guy, kind of. When you boil it down, he well, he's not a have, no, I, normal blind I've, guy, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. He doesn't. He can't shoot webs or he can't fly. Or- he doesn't have super strength. He he does, he's not. You know, so. But I don't know, and I haven't seen anything Daredevil's in except for the TV show, and now these comics we're reading, and I love him every single time I see him. He's, like, my favorite person. I have a bad habit of, like, loving
1: everything, every single Daredevil comic I read, but then forgetting about it and not, like, diving into more, and one of these days I'm gonna kick that
0: and I'm just gonna go on a huge Daredevil binge. Yeah, yeah. Um do you want the rating system for this I couldn't think of one and I couldn't Think of one and then I got it Oh you got <laughs> it okay
1: I th- I think I had something If you needed a backup but let's, let's
0: hear okay. it Okay I rated this One as nine out of ten Dollars earned for standing In front of windows to save your Deadbeat dad <laughs> <laughs> Okay you know what
1: mine Was gonna be what So I'm thinking about the modern connotation that the Punisher has, right? Like, that you see well, Now, like,
0: pu- cops, like, love the Punisher logo. The Punisher
1: logo on the back of every conservative dude's, like, yeah. F-150 and you know, here in just the like, the last couple of issues today, he's offed so many blue lives
0: I know, just- that's the that's the funniest thing about when you do see, like police officers with punisher logos everywhere and 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 the f-150s that as every conservative it's like this dude and the black and blue cops flag for a it. Living. like that's what he does is he kills dirty cops so i was gonna say
1: uh out of 10 um punisher logo bumper stickers <laughs> but we can do we can do dollars that's, from that's Debbie also dads. a good one
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah okay Do- dollars earned from standing in front of windows <laughs> yeah it's it's ten dollars for me yeah so did you get you gave all three of these a perfect score and i took one point off on all three of these but i i so you're nine out of ten on I, this one yeah but i i very easily could have given all of these except for the first one because the artwork in the first one really did bother me but that was the only one where it where it, I even noticed it or it, it didn't like it. You know, I, I loved all three of these.
1: Yeah. I want to be clear. This isn't me, you know, just saying these are 10 out of tens because, you know, I'm in a generous mood and because I like the whole story overall. No, like every individual issue earned it so much more than just about anything we've read up to this point. Like, yeah. because I've been through all these issues before, I kind of know before we even reread them like, Oh, this issue might be a candidate for like a perfect score because those are the issues that stand out to me when I think about this series after having not read it for a few years. And all three of these are like those issues that stand out in my memory. And they were just as good as I thought they were.
0: Yeah. Um, so is, is this the end of this storyline for a little bit? Or if we did the next team up ep- issue, is it going to follow this story?
1: Oh, heck no. The next one is <sighs> weird in a completely different direction. It's Fantastic Four. Oh, will, I
0: saw that. Yes, yeah, it's say next. we will
1: get there. Just um, not next episode. OK,
0: so what are we doing next episode?
1: I'm glad you asked. So next week we are back in our main series. Um, if you remember, we had a, a big. Um, tease about. Uh, Doc Ock, maybe there's going to be some confrontation there. We're going to be reading issues 19 through 21.
0: Okay. Love it. So, Zach, I have one more thing this week because we always do something interesting at the end of the episode. Um, and I actually have two things here. So the first one. Two you- things?
1: Two things. <laughs> <laughs> two things. <laughs> Um, now now are are, are 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 both of these things
0: <laughs> comic
1: uh, related?
0: No. <laughs> so the first one, which I'm guessing you will just respond with a simple no. Did you watch that inside number nine episode that just came out? The Bones of St. Nicholas is what it was called. No. Okay. <laughs> I figured you wouldn't be able to because it's tough to get it's it's a british show and i don't know where you'll be able to watch it so well also
1: i just started like going to the gym and i have such a little time thank you yeah if if
0: any if any you guys can't see zach but he's he's shirtless he's got i'm counting six abs there i can see and when i said handsome at the beginning of the episode i meant it
1: yeah thank you um no, that's just that's been taking a lot of my time. It was even, you know, that's good. That's, I, that's, I, I didn't even that's read good. these issues
0: until last night, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, I read them an hour and a half before we hopped off. Nice. I like came to in keep fresh. it fresh in my mind. Exactly. Yeah, that's well, fair. The other thing was I just saw the movie The Menu a couple of days ago with my sister. Have you heard of that? Yeah, Shiloh watched it without
1: me a few weeks Ooh, ago, and I like walked in as think? it was ending. I'm kind of mad. I wanted to watch it. But then she was like, oh, it sucked. Don't even bother. And she told me the whole plot.
0: Okay, well, I thought it was pretty good, but it's weird. It's definitely weird. And it's just going to be if you like the type of movies that. You are constantly like thinking about the entire time, like I would say it's similar to like Knives Out in that. Every single thing that's in that movie is there with a purpose, you know, with a plan. And it's all very, like, connected. And I just thought it was pretty good. Um, Not like excellent or great or anything, but I thought it was pretty good. And it's got a bunch of famous actors. My sister hated it. So, you know. Um, I think it, it is gonna like be I like this or I just don't get that what it was like all about or anything you like know? a cult classic not a cult classic because I think it's better than that you know like when I think of a cult classic I think of like Rocky Horror Picture Show or like That's The Fair. Room or something yeah. and those movies are awful but fun but yeah and this this one I just thought it was a good movie you know. Um, but it does take. It's it's one that you probably want to sit down without your phone and like actually watch it. You know. Well,
1: you saying that makes me more likely to go back to it because I like those kind of movies. And she I doesn't. You would.
0: I figured it was one that you would like if you watched it.
1: For my birthday weekend, she asked me what I wanted to do, and I was like, you know what, I want to watch 2001: A Space Odyssey, and we <laughs> sat down and watched it. Me, her, and her sister. And by like the the Jupiter sequence at the end, I'm just like cheesing, having a great time. And Shyla is literally laughing like uncontrollably, and she's saying, this is the worst movie I've ever seen
0: That's and funny. ever since
1: then I've like I just keep like, I'll just th- like change the subject in a conversation and be like, and another thing, the monolith was supposed to represent and I just <laughs> keep trying to change her mind that's and I'm not doing really it really
0: funny that's really funny this is probably going to be like I, I've actually never seen 2001 a space odyssey I know it's like an insanely like famous and popular movie um but it's Dude, just let's never make one I've that seen. a bonus
1: episode because okay
0: I could do that I know it's one of those like things. things and that's the computer like I but I don't I don't really know about it at all
1: yep I love things like that or like American Psycho where it's like you you talk to someone and you're like okay, what did you think of this or how did you interpret that? And literally you can hear the craziest things that you had never thought of and it's all there. That
0: type of movie. This is, that's the type of movie that the menu is. So I think you will like it. Yeah. And and next week, try to watch it for next week and I'll be interested because then we can actually talk about, I know you said it was explained to you, but I still don't want to talk about it without you seeing it. Right. And I mean, today,
1: these issues are even an example of something can be explained to you and the way that it was originally told in the story is still lost because, you know, there's an art to pacing and, you know, shot structure and just what you, yeah. what you show. Um, yeah. But I do want to, I wanted to see it in the first place also because Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah, great actress, she's having she, a,
0: a she, little moment for herself and, these past few years. And she's great in this And Nicholas Holt is in this and he's a weirdo, but he's great <laughs> in it. Um, and Ralph Fiennes is in it who my sister and I had been watching the Harry Potter movies. That's why when we were scrolling through, we threw it on. I was like, this is Voldemort. We should just check this out. Didn't really know what it was about or anything. I uh, didn't know it was like, it's kind of like a horror, but it's not really scary, but, um, and yeah, it was it was a good one. I all, told Shyla, all of the actors, you'll be like, I know that guy. Where do I know that guy from?
1: Yeah, I told Shyla that's the guy in the last Kingsman movie. And he was also yeah. Voldemort.
0: And yeah. she couldn't believe it. Yeah, I I, I was then telling Elizabeth about. The menu and we scrolled past it And I said that's the guy that plays Voldemort And she goes oh yeah I recognize him as that And I go no you don't You There's recognize no him from the King's Man You do not
1: recognize him as Voldemort that's like seeing Benedict Cumberbatch and be like oh yeah that's Smog."
0: <laughs> that is funny That's like a, yeah that <laughs> Oh okay oh. Nice. Well, Zendaya
1: <laughs> Is uh, Mishi oh, and- or what whatever
0: circus i recognize him as
1: Gollum. exactly yeah (laughs) i think we've done it to death now yeah (laughs) okay well nice we'll have that'll that'll be i'll be interested in hearing how you think about that that will be fun i'm looking forward to getting some of these uh bonus episodes done and yeah maybe talk about some other like non Spider-Man content just for funsies
0: oh yeah well, if we still have any listeners, thanks for sticking around with us. This this one was a long one. I'm sure it'll be a little shorter once you once you cut it up, Zach, but not much. You know, 20 more
1: minutes and we can market this as a
0: special double sized episode. <laughs> yep. And then we'll be sure that no one will still be with us by the end of it. <sighs> uh, all right. Um, well, I don't think I have uh, something else. Nope. Me neither. Thanks. Thanks again to our friends who helped make uh, the podcast, do the logo and make the theme song and everything like that. Yep.
1: Alyssa Seaman, Ian Hickey, Better Business Bureau.
0: Like to thank the Academy. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. See you next week.